Okay, hello and welcome back to Waste My Time. This is episode 11, um, The Justice System. I'm your host, M, and it has been a minute since we've seen each other, and that's on me, obviously. I do apologize. Um, but I have been thinking for a long time about how to make this episode, and then this issue came to a close, um, and so it felt like it was a good time to record it, and it's been a difficult process, um, so bear with me, uh, and I would like to just issue a trigger warning really quick for sexual assault, um, that is what this episode is centered around, so if you cannot listen to that, I totally understand, um, but if you can, it would really mean a lot to me if you would. Um, I am a rape survivor, and I tried to get justice, and it didn't work out. Um, and this is the story of how the U.S. justice system, or I guess specifically the Maryland justice system, wasted my time more than any man ever has. Um, which is saying a lot because I will remind you, I was in love with my best friend for like four years. And when we finally did sleep together, um, he literally said to me in the middle of having sex, you waited two years for this dick, didn't you? Ew. And then afterwards, when I tried to be like, oh, that was nice. He said, oh, that was just half-assed morning sex paused and then tapped my knee and said you were great though okay so just think about that and that's like that's only the beginning of that and the justice system what the justice system did to me is worse than that so that's how we're starting off um okay i'm just gonna get right into it so in november of 2020 i was raped by a friend of a friend who, as soon as that friend group found out what he did to me, they kicked him out, wanted to make sure that I felt safe, and I truly, truly appreciate them for that. Um, and of course, don't blame any of them. I'm sh- I'm so sure that if they had known that he was like this, they would not have let me take him home. Um, but we met through them at a party And I took him home with me. We had consensual sex. And then in the middle of the night, he decided that he wanted to have sex again. I did not. And he did it anyway, is the gist. Um, Now, I remember showering after it was over and being in the shower and being scared to go back into the bedroom. Like, I remember contemplating sleeping on the couch but I talked myself out of it. I was like, that would make you a bitch. Like you're being overdramatic, blah, blah, blah. Um, but to be honest, like I had kind of blacked out what happened for a couple days afterwards. So I also remember in the morning him asking why there was so much blood. I mean, there was, there was blood everywhere on the bed, on his boxers, on it. There was so much of it. And I, I think at the time I just said like, oh, like your dick must have been too big or some some stupid shit like that. I mean, how, 
<laughs> how do you tell someone like, oh yeah, you assaulted me last night? And I also didn't even realize, like I didn't really remember what had happened. And so it, it kind of took a couple days of me talking to my roommate about it. And, you know, I was bleeding. My, my vagina was bleeding for three days after I was raped. And over the course of that time, I was talking to my roommate and it started off as like, oh, haha, I think he did this. Like, men suck. And then as I kind of started to piece together what had happened to me, I realized that I was assaulted. And, you know, I remember coming into her room and saying, like, I think I was raped. And she was like, yeah, that's kind of what it sounds like. Um, and luckily, but unfortunately, I have a lot of close people in my life that have been through that. And so I called my best friend and the advice that she gave to me was one, tell my mom and two, to talk about it because not talking about it and just internalizing it is how you start to blame yourself. Um, and she just said that it was really important to to be able to talk about it. And I'm so glad that she gave me that advice because I really do think that it helped me, which is part of the reason that I'm making this episode. Um, and also, sorry. I'm not sorry for crying, but I'm sorry if it interrupts the flow of the story. <laughs> so anyway... I was bleeding for three days after I was assaulted, and shortly thereafter, unfortunately, my roommate had to go home for Thanksgiving. She was leaving for two weeks, so now I just realized that I was raped. My roommate is gone. I'm alone. Once again, I'm so thankful for my best friends who took turns. One came for one week, and another one came for the other week to keep me company, Um, but before they got there, on day five, I realized that I should probably get a rape kit done just in case, you know, I wasn't even thinking yet about pursuing this in court, but I knew that if I was ever going to, if I ever decided to do that, that I should have evidence. So day five, I called Rain, the National Sexual Assault Hotline, and the woman was very kind, gave me the name of a hospital that does They're rape kits, but I think they're called safe kits now. And she also offered to have Rain call me back in a little bit and check and see on how I was doing. And I said, yeah, that that would be great. Um, And not that I blame any one person in particular. This is, you know, the issue of, of a machine is people slip through the cracks. But nobody from Rain ever called me back. And this is the beginning of a long series of never being called back, ever. So, at 10 p.m. on day five, I drive myself to the hospital alone. Um, I had to wait to get a kit done because there was another woman having a kit done in front of me, which is horrible, of course. Um, But I do remember, like, you know, every waiting room that they put me in, I was falling asleep. 
Um, and everybody that woke me up was telling me how sorry they were that this had happened to me. Um, and I also had brought with me the clothes that he finished on after he pulled out after raping me and my bloodstained sheets. Um, I had all of that in a plastic bag. So I finally get back to have the kit done. And I think probably a lot of people don't know what happens when you have a rape kit done or a safe kit, sorry. And so just to kind of talk through that, I guess, they, the first thing they did was ask me when it happened. Um, because there's a lot of medication that they give you to prevent STDs and or STIs and pregnancy, things like that. And plan B can work up to five days after intercourse. And so I remember them asking when it happened and it was on day five. And so they were like, the first thing they said, they were like, you need to go, we need to get a urine test, make sure you're not pregnant and you need to take plan B right now. Um, and so I'm really grateful that they were so on top of that. And then they gave me, you know, a bunch of other medications. I think there was a shot in there um, to prevent STIs. And then we went through what had happened. So I talked through. um, And, you know, they were like, whatever you're comfortable with, like, take your time speaking, things like that. They were really very kind. This was Mercy Hospital in Baltimore, Maryland. So I'm really um, grateful to that staff. Uh, talk through everything that happens, and then they start taking pictures. And so I also remember them telling me before they were going to take pictures of my vagina that sometimes there's micro-tearing. And when that's the case, you can't see it with the naked eye. Um, They have to put a dye on your skin, and then they take a picture like when the dye shows the micro-tears. And they were just warning me because it burns a little bit, that dye. And so once they got set up to take the pictures, I remember them being like, oh, we don't even need the dye. We can see it with our eyes. And so those tears were big enough to be seen five days after being assaulted. And I I should probably also mention, because I feel like maybe this is why the outcome is what it was, but I did kind of have sex with someone else like I tried to I was seeing someone at the time and tried to have sex with him but I ended up crying because it hurt so bad and and it stopped um so yeah I don't know if maybe that's one of the things that you know affected the outcome of this case but anyway um they Asked me if I wanted to report it to the police. They said, we can have an officer come in now. They said, or we can file it under a Jane Doe, give you a number, and then if you ever decide to report it, you can bring that number to the police. And I said, okay, I'll do that. I don't know if I want to report it yet. They said, that's fine. Throughout my time in the hospital, I was also offered multiple services, all of which I said yes to, and none of whom called me. So just so we can keep track of this pattern of never getting called back (laughs) ever. Um, And I left the hospital at three in the morning and then would not recommend this. 
Um, but I went to work the next day at 7 a.m. This was in the middle of a job that was very high stress. And so um, I was working really, really ungodly hours. And I'm going to be honest, all I did was work, sleep, and listen to the album Manic by Halsey for like three months. So shout out to that album for getting me through (laughs) that period of time. Um, I mean, I think the, the way that I describe it to people was not like that I wanted to kill myself, but I did wish I was dead. It just seemed easier. I would say that I was like a shell of a human at that point. So there was about three months of that. And then in February of 2021, I decided that I did want to report it. So my roommate and I went to the police station. Um, Shout out to my roommate and her fits because at the police station, the person who took my report asked her if she was my mom, which is incredible. (laughs) Um, Anyway, we went to the closest police station and I walked up to the desk and I said, I would like to report a crime. And they said, what kind of crime? And I said, a sexual assault. And they said, okay, sit here. So we sat in the lobby of this police station, not obviously not like, we're not happy, you know, we're not like joking around. This is like a really heavy thing that's going on. But the officers were, who were working were like joking around, like ordering DoorDash. And I'm not saying like you can't do your job, but maybe like put us in a a waiting room? You don't have a room that we can sit in that's not, like, us watching you guys laughing and joking and, like, whispering? Like, I watched one officer walk up to another one and ask about us. Like, you know, that just was very strange. And then, um, in all, like, a regular officer comes up and they're like, I'm going to be the one taking your statement. Um, And they literally said to us, like, I've never done this before. Great. (laughs) Cool. So happy to be your first. I was like, I've never done this before either. So that's really fun for both of us. Um, So they finished taking my story... I don't think they got the whole thing, but they were just asking, like, who he was, if I was safe, if I was worried about him coming back, things of that nature, and then drove us downtown to the headquarters where we went to the sex crimes unit, and I gotta be honest, you guys, I have never been, I've never felt so, like, pre-defeated as seeing when I saw the, like, cabinets on cabinets on cabinets of sex crimes folder like just the cabinets were just labeled with the years and it was only like two years and it was like eight cabinets and I was like holy shit like this I mean 
it was just, I can't imagine having to work there and look at that all day long. I do remember that the detective was really nice. And um, he took... He took me into a room that had microphones in it and asked if it was okay for him to record the story so that, excuse me, if he didn't have things in his notes, he could just go back and listen instead of having to contact me and make me relive it again, which was very kind of him. And of course, I said, that's fine. Um, and then he took my roommate back and had her give her story because she was home that night, even though obviously she didn't like witness it. Um, but she did see him and she was home. And luckily because I knew people who had known him, they had given me all of his information so that I could give it to the police. Um, and then that was it. He said that they would investigate it. And I do remember at some point he had called me and told me that they had brought him in and taken his DNA. And so I was like, okay, things are moving. And then it was basically like radio silence. So that was February of 2021. In September of 2021, the detective told me that the case was sent over to the state's attorney's office and that I would be getting a call from them about how it was going to proceed. March of 2022, I hadn't heard anything and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to get some answers. So I called the state's attorney's office and they said, what's your case number? And I gave them the report number and they said, no, that's not a case number. You need a case number. I said, I don't know how to get that. They said, call the police station. They'll give you the case number. So I hang up. I called the police station. The police were like, no, we don't assign that. The state's attorney's office assigns a case number. When they get one, we don't have that information. They gave me the report number that I already had. Um, and then they were like, call the state's attorney's office back. So I call the state's attorney's office back. And I'm like... They said that you guys assigned the case number. I don't know how to find this. The state's attorney's office says, okay, well, if you don't have the case number, do you have the offender's last name? Now, up until this point, I had made it... I was intentionally trying to not remember his name. Um, and also the date that it happened... I don't want to have to relive that every year. So I know generally like what week it was, but I, I don't know the exact day um, because I have purposely tried to forget it. So when she was like, what's his last name? I was like, well, I don't know anymore um, or how to spell it. And she says, okay, call the police back, tell them like the report number and ask them for his last name, then call us back. So then I called the police back and this was probably one of the most frustrating conversations that I had had. Um, I explained the situation and I said, I just need the offender's last name. And he said, I can't give that to you. And I was like, okay, but I filed the report 
so like all I need you to do is tell me how to spell his last name. And he was like, I'm not allowed to give out that info. And I was like, okay, just to be clear, I literally told him, I will describe the rape to you and it will match what's in the file. Like I will prove that it's me. He said, I can't tell you. I said, okay, just to be clear, you can't give me the name of my rapist that I gave to you a few months ago, a year ago. And he said, and then I started to cry naturally because that's what I do. And he was, he, his voice got really loud and he was like, ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. And I was like, what? And he was like, let me, like, let me give you a detective's phone number. And I was like, I already have a detective's phone number. And I hung up. And then my guardian of a roommate found, uh, my rapist on the internet, gave me the proper spelling of his name. I called the state's attorney's office back. They tell me that the case is assigned to Connie Yarborough, um, and that there are no updates on it right now, but they will have someone call me. Um, and they also gave me the phone number to victim services. So this was the state's attorney's office. They gave me the phone number to victim services, told me to call them for updates. Okay. So I called victim services April of 22, July of 22 and August of 22. I believe in April of 22, was when they told me, oh, was when they talked to Connie about my case and said she would call me back. And I do believe she called me back and told me, April was when she told me that they were um, working on getting information from the police department that not everything had been sent over yet. And it would take about a week probably, and then she would call me back after that. Then I didn't hear anything, so July of 22, I call victim services. Guess what? Connie Yarborough does not work there anymore. Great. What happened to my case? Every single time that I called victim services, the thing with making these phone calls is that every time I call, I have to re-explain my story. The first time I called victim services, I'll never forget this. She answered, I said, hi, I'm trying to figure out the status of my case. She said, okay, what kind of crime was it? Burglary? And I was like, um, rape? And she was like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. So it was like that every time. And I also here would like to shout out Miss Bryce, who maybe still works at Victim Services in Baltimore City. Just absolutely incredible. Helped me as much as she could every time I called, and I'm very grateful for her. Um... And I'm going to, I want to like send her flowers or something because I don't think that I would have been able to make these phone calls without knowing that I could call her. And I don't even know if she remembered me each time I called, but she just was so helpful. So August of 22 and every single time having to re-explain my story and also give him my, or give them his last name again. So now I can spell this man's name inside out forwards, backwards, upside down, every way that you could possibly spell a name. August of 22, they give me the phone number for the victim advocate who is, um, I, she's bilingual and I think generally her 
job is really just to act more of a translator um, than anything else. Because she did tell me the few times that we had spoken that um, she doesn't have access to the cases. So, like, if I call her and then she goes and talks to the attorney, she doesn't know if the attorney calls me or not. She needs me to call her back and tell her what's happening. So, I called the victim advocate September of 2022, December of 2022, January of 2023, September and December of January 2022, well, December, she never called me back after that one. September, I think she did call me back. The other hard part about making these phone calls, especially with the victim advocate because she's usually in court, is that you don't decide when they call you back, so you don't decide when this information is coming to you. So, in September... When she called me, I was teaching a class and I just remember like during that phone call was when she explained to me that she, she really doesn't know what's going on and she literally, she begged me to keep calling her. She was like, we can't do this without the victims coming forward and like I can't help you if I don't know what's going on so please keep calling me so that we can make a difference because we can't do this without you. And I was absolutely just wrecked. <laughs> so thank you to my coworkers who took over for me after that um, and taught the next class. So that was September of 2022, December of 2022. She never called me back. This woman, like, good for her. She takes so many vacations, but also, like, I could not get a fucking answer to save my fucking life sometimes. And it was so frustrating. Um, January of 2023, I called her and I called the, um, state's attorney's office again, where they told me that my, my case was now filed under a different report number. Like the report number had changed, which is not supposed to happen because the report number is what it is when you file the report. So we didn't know how that had happened. And they told me that, it was going to be assigned to a new attorney and she would reach out to me when she got around to it. I guess there was only there's only one person in the state of Maryland reviewing sexual assault cases and they're backlogged since COVID. So, like, what the fuck is that? February 2023, I called the victim advocate again. And then finally, March 16th of 2023... I am on my way to a job interview. Literally, like, I was, like, 10 minutes away in my car, an in-person job interview, and I get a phone call, and I pick it up because, in my mind, nobody from the state's attorney's office has... Literally, in the past two years, I've gotten two phone calls from the state's attorney's office. So, in my head, it was not... It had nothing to do with this case. So, I answer the phone. It is the state's attorney's office and the victim advocate, and they had called to tell me that they were not going to be taking my case to court um, because they cannot prove that force was used. And I didn't really know what that meant. Um so I, you know, I was like, well, what, what about the fact that I said no and was trying to push him off of me? 
And they said, well, that proves that it was non-consensual, but it doesn't prove that force was used. And I was like, well, what about the fact that I bled for three days because my vagina was torn open? And she said, well, vaginal tearing can occur in both consensual and non-consensual sex. So um, that doesn't prove that force was used. So take from that what you will. To me, my interpretation of that is that force cannot be proven unless you're beaten. So not only do you have to be sexually assaulted, but you also have to be regular assaulted. Just like a quick one-two combo (laughs) in order for it to be taken to court. Don't quote me on that, but that's the gist that I got. Um, And basically what she said was that they only take cases that they're sure that they can win. And because they're not sure that they can prove force was used beyond a reasonable doubt, they're not sure that they can win and therefore my case will not be going to court. And I think it's difficult to explain, obviously, the feelings that come along with that. I'm going to have to unpack them for a long time, probably. It's a little bit of relief that it's over. It's anger that two and a half years of my life (laughs) were wasted on this person who probably didn't think about me at all and will never know will never, you know, be held accountable for his actions ever. Um, and, yeah, confusion, I guess. Although, you know, statistically, this is what the numbers... I was lucky even that my case made it to the state's attorney's office, like, desk. That rarely, rarely happens. Um, but I think... One of the reasons I wanted to make this episode is because a lot of people say, well, why don't you just report it? But this is what happens when you report it. Is you spend two years wondering and worrying about having to sit in front of a jury And tell an entire courtroom about being violated and have to look at the person who raped you in the eyes and I think for two years I was under that stress for nothing You know, if this was going to be the outcome, couldn't you have told me that, like, 20 months ago (laughs) instead of 24? Um, so, yeah, anyway, uh, that is the end. I will say that the the woman who called me, though I don't remember her name, was very kind. And she did say, like, if you have any questions, this is my cell phone number. You can call me back and ask me. And I do appreciate that. And I think that I will call her eventually with some questions. Um, but uh, my... My hot take this episode 
is that forgiveness is overrated. I think a lot of times when somebody wrongs you, you hear you should forgive them. Anger and hate are just a poison in your body. And if that's the case, then fucking call me Snow White and pass me that poison apple, bitch. I will eat the whole thing. I am angry. And what I know about anger is that I have never been more motivated to affect change that when I am then when I am deeply and intrinsically angry and I think that shows because a lot of the people that we're most scared of are the people that are angry um I think it doesn't help that I am watching police officers kill people based on their skin color and yet the man who raped me, who actually is hurting society, manages to walk free? Like, where, where is the justice in this equation? I'm missing it. I just, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me. So, my hope and my plan for the future is to use this anger to affect some kind of change, though I don't know what that will be quite yet. Um, I have talked about possibly starting a, an organization called Call Me Back that does this advocacy work because I know that I would not have been able to make all these phone calls if I didn't have the support system that I had. And considering that literally no one, okay, that's not true, like three people throughout this whole process called me back. And even when I asked to be called I was never called by the resources that exist to help people in this situation. Um, I think it, it would be helpful to have somebody who can advocate for you. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know what, what I'm going to do yet. Um, but I just want to say to... All of my friends and family and those who supported me through all of this. I can't, I can't thank you enough. Um, I really do love you guys and I would not be who I am today. Or where I am today without you. Oh man. So thank you. Um, to my rapist, Tomas, whose last name I can now spell um, in my sleep. But I'm sure he hasn't thought of me since he was brought in for his DNA. My only hope for you is that everyone that you meet from here on out sees what a disgusting and sad excuse for a human being you are, and that you never feel the touch of another living creature, tender or tough, for the rest of your life. And I do hope that it's a long and fucking lonely ass life. And lastly, to my fellow survivors, 
I hear you. I believe you. You did not deserve this. And it is not your fault. And to the rest of you, thank you so much for listening. Um, I will see you on the next episode. Thank you.